And if you have your Bibles, you can open to Colossians 3 or phone apps, Colossians 3 as well. And, uh, and as your bulletin cover um, indicates, we're focusing on work in the second half of the message, how to win at work. And by the way, if you want to succeed at work, uh, when you're interviewing for a job, we'll tell the interviewer that you're willing to give 110%. That is unless you're applying for a statistician. And don't do that, because you'll get fired right there. Uh, Colossians 3.22. Um, the, the first half, though, we're going to deal with a very practical issue that, that is on many people's minds. When the Bible addresses slavery and masters, I mean, that shows us that God's word is outdated, right? Of course, you know. Uh, Colossians 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Does Paul actually condone slavery by teaching slave owners and slaves how to respond? Paul used, or people use texts like this to justify slavery for generations. Why didn't Paul just call for an end of slavery? Why didn't he just come out and shoot straight? Let's let's abolish slavery. Well, I'm going to share like several reasons why I think he didn't, although we know that Paul certainly did not accept slavery. He didn't condone it. He simply addressed the real issue found in that culture. Uh, And and so um, he didn't believe that God instituted this this, uh, thing from for, for the world, in the same way that he did marriage and family. We know this from the book of Ephesians, where Paul gives, uh, spends some time contrasting the marriage relationship with our relationship with God. You know, he's the bridegroom, we're the, uh, I mean, we're the bride, and he's the, the groom, you know, and, uh, and, and the family of God, too, uh, speaking of parents and children, you know, there, there's imagery and the body of Christ as well. But Paul didn't give the same attention or explanation for slavery because he didn't endorse slavery. However, Paul never advocated overthrowing or revolting against the institution in his day because he wanted to teach his people how to respond in a situation like this, even though it's unjust. Similarly, God tells us to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. And those who persecute us may be our bosses, or they may be the government or whatever. And we're to pray for them, but that certainly does mean that God is endorsing unjust treatment from bosses or persecution. He's just indicating how can you live within this in a way that honors God, even if it's unjust. Uh, Secondly, uh, Slavery was very different in those days in the Greco-Roman world than what we think of it today. For example, it wasn't an, a racist is, issue back then based on the color of one's skin or even one's nationality. In the Roman Empire, there were some 60 million people who worked as slaves, making up to one-third to one-half of all those who lived in the Roman Empire. And even in the city of Rome itself, some estimates say that 90% of the people worked as slaves or bond servants in that pagan culture. So it was much more a part of the established uh, work back then. Uh, While there were certainly many examples of degradation and dehumanizing forms of slavery in the Roman world, many served in 
many slaves served in dignified ways, such as they were tutors, they were professors, they were doctors, they were estate managers and bookkeepers and artisans. And many of them signed up for this work as indentured slaves, which meant that they had to pay back what they owed to the lender. For example, if you wanted to start a business or a firm, and, and so you had to borrow money from someone who was wealthy, and so you established your operation, but the, the year was bad, the crops failed, whatever, and so the next year you're not able to pay any of that back. Instead, to keep your business going and your family going, you had to borrow more money from this person. And it goes on for a third year, same thing, downturn in the economy, you borrow even more money, and then you realize you're up over your, you're out, over your head in debt, and you don't know what to do. And so what you do is you sign up to be an indentured servant or slave. And you work for this lender for up to seven years in order to pay back your debt. So it's kind of more of a volunteer position and an act of mercy in some cases back then. Now, now not all slave owners were kind and just and fair. Many of them were unjust too. So it was a mixed bag, but there were many slaves or servants who did quite well in the Roman, Greco-Roman world. Uh, thirdly, Paul didn't address it because the early Christians had no political power. They were a minority. They were a small movement. They were insignificant in the eyes of the world, unlike Christians and the great United States of America. Uh, these early Christians had no freedom of speech. They, they hadn't, had no ability to vote in the, the representatives who would best represent their values. So they had no political power. And had they tried to revolt against this institution of slavery, then it would have discredited their witness in those days. You know, with this advent of the new freedom that, that everyone found in Christ, including slaves and women and children, um, they could have justifiably revolted against their unjust masters. They could have demanded their freedom, and it seems that many slaves did, or some slaves did, with an in-your-face type attitude. Man, I'm free now. You can't hold me here. And then Paul addressed this in 1 Timothy when he said, Slaves should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. So let, don't discredit the witness, the gospel, by revolting. It, it'd be sort of like, um, it, it's the right message but it would be the wrong timing or the wrong methodology. Sort of like if you settle in for the night and, and you on, on your couch and you turn on the TV and there's the Academy Awards, annual Emmy Awards you know, ceremony and the red carpet is rolled out and all the Hollywood stars came out in their best, best dresses and whatnot. And so you're settling in there, but then you see this little contingency of people on TV gathering over here and they're holding picket sides that are derogatory toward Hollywood. You know, statements that are putting Hollywood down, the evils of Hollywood. And then you hear bullhorns and people are uh, slamming ho Hollywood, asking them to repent, etc. Well, it'd be the right message, but it would be the wrong method. It'd be poor timing, it'd be unloving, and it would be insensitive. 
Peter puts it this way, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. We need to speak the truth, but we need to speak it in love. And then another reason perhaps Paul didn't speak out against this. Christians were to work within the system to bring about change, as opposed to oppose the system, if you will. Sometimes God raises up leaders within the pagan system. We could think of many examples, Joseph and Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah and Jeremiah. Many these leaders that God raised up They were in pagan situations under pagan kings and rule. And they were influential not because of their campaigning against the politicians or their military-like revolt or manipulation, but they were effective simply because they were faithful and respectful in their service. And God granted them favor even in the eyes of the pagan kings. And so they were used by God within the system to bring about great changes. Another example would be when Paul um, wrote a letter to Philemon when Philemon's slave ran away with some of Philemon's resources. And this slave named Onesimus ran away to Rome and when he was in Rome he met Paul, he heard the gospel, and he accepted Christ. And his life was changed. And so Paul writes this letter to his brother in Christ Philemon back in Colossae And he says, hey, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And he says, he's coming back, but don't think of him as a slave any longer, but a beloved brother in Christ. Forgive him, restore him, take him back, and maybe even consider releasing him to my service because he's a help to me in my ministry, Paul said. However, Paul respected the Roman law. He didn't go above the Roman law to hide away this this, uh, this stowaway. Instead, he sent him back, which would have been the legal choice. So Paul, his primary focus was also the power of the gospel. The eradication of slavery would eventually come because that would ultimately be God's will and was up from the get-go, it was God's will. But it was eradicated by changed hearts. And these changed hearts were changed through the power of the gospel. Our mandate is not to confront politics and and those people in high, the, the systems of the world. Our mandate is to preach the gospel, which will then change hearts. And when changed hearts are transformed in Christ, then they will be the salt and light in the earth. Positive change never comes through force force from like a top-down act of coercion. Uh, You can command a teenager to sit down, and they will sit down with their bodies, but they'll be standing in their hearts. We need to change their hearts if we want to see lasting change. When Christianity was introduced to the Greco-Roman world, it taught that all people are free and equal in Christ. And this message that of the gospel, it clashed with the culture that had these rules of hierarchy where women had no rights and, and slaves had no rights and children had no rights, foreigners had no rights. But it was all those who had the privileges, you know, the men, the, the masters, the parents, 
the insiders. Um, the Roman, uh, Roman called Petrus, Chris Lagas wrote, whatever a master does to a slave undeservedly in anger, willingly, unwillingly, in forgetfulness after careful thought, knowingly and unknowingly, is fair, just, and legal. Aristotle viewed slaves as living tools. So e- even though some slaves had purpose, you know, as doctors and, and artisans and uh, many others were ill-treated as well, but no slaves had rights compared to those above them. But in Christ, we're told in Galatians 3, Paul writes in his letter to Galatia, in Christ there's no longer this Jew over Gentile. There's no longer this male over female. There's no longer uh, masters over slaves. In Christ we're all one. At the cross, the ground is level. And this was revolutionary. Slaves were now to be called your brother or your sister in Christ. John Stott wrote, while we cannot defend the indolence or the cowardice of Christian centuries which saw this social evil but failed to eradicate it, we can at the same time rejoice that the gospel immediately began, even in the first century, to undermine this institution of slavery. It lit a fuse which at long last led to the explosion which destroyed it. Praise God. So did Paul accept slavery as God's will? No. But he said, we live in a fallen world here, and this is how children of God are expected to live in the midst of even injustice. Injustice. You might be thinking, oh, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. There's a lot of questions, I know. But I'm going to stop there, um, and I'm going to go on to how this applies to us today. Where slavery uh, is no longer a part of our country, and that's in the sense that we used to know it. But, of course, there's you know, human trafficking, and there's a lot of evils out there, too, of, of control and manipulation. Um, and the, Paul's not addressing those issues. But the principles outlined can be applied to employers and employees here. It can, it can even be applied to students and teachers. You know, it could be applied to coaches and players. It could be applied to politicians and citizens. How are we to respond to others, especially when there's injustice? Colossians 3.22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything, and do it not only when their eyes on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. And then at the end, we'll look at Colossians 4, where he addresses masters. Well, how did Paul instruct slaves to respond? How does he instruct workers, employers, to respond. First, maintain a strong work ethic. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Employees, obey your employers in everything. That is, like 
in the other examples that we looked at last week, that is, unless there is contradiction, if it contradicts God's word. For example, if a boss asks you to lie, steal, and cheat for him or her, then, you know, you have to obey your higher authority, which is our Lord and our God. But obey your employer. A prospective employer took a job applicant and he said, "Uh, I'm sorry, but I can't hire you. I don't need you right now. There isn't enough to keep you busy. The applicant responded, that's okay. You'd be surprised at how little it takes to keep me busy. You know? Don't be like that guy. Rather have a strong work ethic. Or like when a man got to work in the morning and the boss stormed up and he he said to the guy, you missed work yesterday, didn't you? And his response was, no, not particularly. (laughs) Again, don't be like that person. Rather have a strong worth ethic. Uh, You want to be an employee who goes above and beyond. Uh, Henry Haskins said, don't be like a wheelbarrow which has to be pushed all the time and is easily upset. A survey was conducted uh, at Florida State University and they discovered that employees who endure abuse from bosses retaliate with subpar performances. Uh, 30% showed slowed production and purposely made errors. 29% took sick days off when they weren't sick and 25% took longer breaks than they were allotted when they had unfair bosses. Well, it shouldn't matter if you're a believer in Christ. You should maintain a strong work ethic regardless of what your boss is like. Secondly, uh, maintain a positive attitude of respect. Positive attitude, Colossians 3.22, and do it, work, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. This word sincerity means without pretense or hypocrisy. The word sincerity comes from a Latin word, two words, sine and ser, put together. And it means without wax. Years ago, when a potter would make a piece of pottery, if it had no flaws in it, then he would stamp his approval on it, sine ser. This is sincere. This is without wax. On occasion, when he was working on a a vessel, and it happened to crack somehow, then he would take some wax, he'd put it on the crack, and then he'd glaze over it, and then he wasn't able to stamp his sincere, or sincere on it, because it had flaws that he was hiding. Paul says, have sincerity in your heart by the way you respond to those in authority over you. We're not to pretend to be respectful in front of their face, and then talk about them behind their back because that's insincere. That's with flaw. Instead, our attitude should be with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Reverence means respect for the Lord. In verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Give your best efforts. Um, Go with an attitude of willingness into your jobs. Um, And by the way, if you're retired, this would apply to you when you are serving different places or when you're dealing with others who are overseeing you in some way. But some might think, but my work is insignificant. You know, my attitude doesn't matter because my work is meaningless. I wish I could do great things for God, but, you know, 
I just do my job and who cares, you know? Like the guy who said, well, like, I'll, I'll just say, before I became a pastor, I started a job at a paperless company, and everything was great until I needed to use the restroom, and so I quit. So, you know, there's no sacred, secular split, you know, in God. You know, it's not like pastors have the great jobs, and, and if you're not a pastor, if you're working in the world, you're just a normal person, you know. There's no, there's no, there's a priesthood of all believers, according to Martin Luther, Protestant Reformation. We are all ministers. We all have significance and value. As William Tyndale wrote, there is no work better than another to please God. To pour water, to wash dishes, to be a cobbler or an apostle, all is one. To wash dishes and to preach is all one to please God. Or as Charles Spurgeon's put it, uh, the shop, the burn, the scullery, and the smith, smithy, smith, blacksmith shop became temples when men and women do it all for the glory of God. So whatever we do, we're to work at it with all our hearts with reverence for the Lord. And so we're to do our work for the Lord, in a sense. But even more so, when we're working, no matter how insignificant it may appear or it may seem to you, you're doing it literally for the Lord. In verse 23, it says, you're doing this for the Lord, not for your human bosses or masters. Verse 24, it is the Lord Christ you are serving, even in your menial, insignificant work. It is significant in God's eyes, as Mother Teresa exemplified for us, who worked with the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, she said, we are committed to feed Christ who is hungry, committed to clothe Christ who is naked. We're committed to take in Christ who has no home and to do all this with a smile on our faces and bursting with joy. This in response to Jesus' words when he said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was in prison. You came to visit me. What do you mean, Lord? I never saw you in prison. And he said, whatever you did, for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. So we can work for anybody when we remember that our primary audience is our Lord and our Master, Jesus Christ. We have to maintain this positive attitude. And thirdly, if we're to be winners at work, we, we need to focus on eternity as we do our work. In verse 24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Katie told me that if I told that joke, she'd turn me off. I'm sorry, Katie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I w is it on again? It's, it's, it's rebooting. Our system is like this. Hello, hello, hello. Um, well, I'm going to tell the joke anyway, Katie. Um, focus on eternity. What award did the world's top dentist get? Well, he got a little plaque. Thank you. That's a Father's Day joke. I should have saved this for next week. Uh, we're in training for eternity. Keep your eyes focused on things above, we're, we're instructed. Keep your thoughts, your hearts, because we are going to co-reign with Christ for all eternity. Jesus said it this way, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. What we do on earth may seem insignificant, but it has eternal ramifications of how we spend our time for eternity. Verse 25, but anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrongs and there is no favoritism. Speaking of those who do wrong, have you heard about the guy who stole the calendar? Well, he got 12 months. Thank you. This is a wake, wake me up joke. Wake me up. I'm nearing the end. Here's another one. And whoever stole my copy of Microsoft Office, I'm coming for you. You got my word. All right. Um, believers in Christ, Paul wasn't saying believers in Christ uh, are going to be shut out of heaven. You're going to be punished that way. He, he says, nothing can take you away from relationship with me, but we will miss out on some sort of heavenly reward and responsibility. Sort of like my friend who was, um, this time of year, many years ago, he was in, in, this, in the Summer Olympic training uh, prelims, you know, trying to get into the Olympics, and he had this match, but he stayed up late the night before in a hotel, and he kind of partied with his friends, and he overslept, and he missed his match, the qualifying match that would have put him in the Olympics. He missed out on his medal. He's still a friend of mine. I don't reject him, but I could have known an Olympian. Uh, so we need to have an eternal focus. And then finally, we need to work from the right source of strength. I really want to show respect for my boss or for that, that dude who's over me. You know, I want, to, I, I want to show respect, but if you really knew what they were like, then you'd understand why I just cannot show them respect. And my response was, you're right. You can't. But Christ can in you and through you, his spirit. When you're not capable of doing so, the Spirit of God is. Let the Spirit of God rule in your life. Be filled with your, the Spirit. Be filled with the Word of God. Uh, F.B. Meyer writes, There are many men who have never learned the difference between working for God and allowing God to work through them. That's the reason so many people lack the power to obey. Colossians 3.3, 3, Paul writes, When Christ, who is your life, when he appears, then you'll be, appear with him in glory. We don't just live for Christ. Christ is our life, living in us and through us. As we let the Spirit of Christ fill us, or as we let the Word of God dwell in us richly. And that's the secret of the source of our strength. It gives us the capability to do the impossible. And then one final note on the masters and the employers in chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. In the counterpart in Ephesians, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. And the masters might have been thinking, what? Are you kidding me? Treat my slaves in the same way that I expect them to treat me? No way. I'm the boss man. And God would say, yes way, because they were also created in my image. My son came to die on the cross for them as well. They have as much eternal value 
and significance even now as you do because we're all one in Christ. Treat your workers the same way that they treat you with respect, honor, and sincerity. The overall principle is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Whether you're a boss or whether you are an underling, submit to one another. Uh, We're not to use our positions of authority to intimidate, control, or lord it over our employees. Um, In Christ, there's no longer Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, or female. Bosses are called to be leaders by serving, as demonstrated by our master, Jesus Christ, who got down on his hands, or he got down on his knees, and he washed the feet of his disciples, and he said, that is how I expect you to treat others if you truly want to lead. And bosses, um, we had seminary professors, Lynn and I did when we were in Chicago, and these seminary professors were brilliant. I mean, they wrote commentaries in Greek and Hebrew, and they knew their backwards and forwards or stuff, you know? But these seminary professors, each one of them indicated that they wanted to be called by their first name rather than Professor Weiberg, you know? No, just, just call me John. Just call me Klein. Just, and, and they would invite us over to their homes, and they would serve us, and they would respect us, and they would pour into us compassion and, and kindness and vision And they were the most humble men and women that taught us in seminary for those three years we were there. And they were our leaders. They had tremendous influence on us. That's what a Christ-like leader looks like, or a boss, if you will. And we are blessed in this church and in our community as well with many Christian brothers and sisters who are leaders. Um, We have a mayor we have presidents of companies. We have foremen, foremen. We have officials, uh, administrators in the city, county, and school. There are police officers who are believers and uh, judges. There are coaches and, and teachers. And there are a lot of parents who are believers. And God has placed them in a th- positions of authority, but they can either abuse it or they can use it for the kingdom of God. And as I think of these people, uh, they are very humble and Christ-like. And that's what makes the gospel so compelling. Because we don't operate in the corporate world mindset. We operate according to a different kingdom. And that's what's so attractional about our Savior and our Lord. Let's pray. And so, Jesus, as we close in worship here, I pray that you, by your spirit, you search our hearts and you, uh, you reveal to us what you'd want us to take away from this, even if it's just one little thought, Lord, so that we can be more and more like you every day. Thank you for your living word, your active word that transforms us and changes our hearts so that we can reflect you into the world. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.